welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I am pleased and delighted to be joined by Tony DeLoisio. And Tony, who is an author and psychotherapist, opens up Act One with his story of life as a child with Mother Mary, his brilliant and extraordinarily troubled mother. Now, Tony's mom was an uh, obsessive, compulsive, neurotic, as he says, parent who ruled with an iron fist, who did everything in her power to control her environment, which included controlling her children. Tony describes the energy of his extended family beyond just at home with Mother Mary and his dad, who was a fireman, by the way, as, in quotes, dangerous. As a relatively young teen, Tony realized that he was actually his own person, and he was often forced by his mother to sit for hours at a time during which she would write compulsively and later on would take swats at him. And he began to fight back by the simple act of putting his hands up to block his mother's physical blows. As he says, I never hit her. I never hit back. But he sent a clear message that he was no longer going to allow the physical abuse. He goes on to cite Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, pointing to the importance of choice and the recognition that a big part of creating his own path came down to the choices that he made. Tony shares the lessons he learned through his own traumas, and we touch on how trauma lives in the body, wrapping act one riffing on stimulus response and the importance of self-observation and self-awareness, finally bringing it home with some wisdom about the values-driven choices that become available when one develops these conscious self-reflective practices. There's a lot of good stuff, a lot of rich stuff in this first act with Tony DeLoisio. And before we get into it, just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's dive in. Enjoy. Tony DeLoisio, welcome. It's a pleasure having you here with me on Mojo for the Modern Man. Thank you, Ken. I'm happy to be here with you and your audience. Yes, and I'm looking forward to a, a, a rich and meaty and fun conversation. And let's start mm. here. Tony, what was it like growing up in your part of the world? Mm, wow. It was pretty interesting. Uh, it was in Waterbury, Connecticut, which was then the sort of uh, brass capital of the world. Or, and, and it was sort of an industrial town. My dad was a fireman. Uh, we lived in a sort of a, you know, a, a very middle middle-class neighborhood and um <clears throat> had a sister have a sister dolores i guess the unique part of my growing up was my mom my mom mary mother mary we used to call her mm. mother mary was larger than life she was valedictorian from every school she went to um a big personality but she was also very um mentally and emotionally disturbed um she had to baby boys that died after me um and they died you know when they were babies joseph and john and you know as you can imagine um i mean for a number of reasons who knows but that took her over the deep end and she um she developed a very severe case of um obsessive compulsive neurotic behavior 
where she was afraid kind of losing things as she had lost her two babies. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she was in and out of mental hospitals, you know, during my, this happened, let's say after I was say six years old. So I think growing up, up to six, you know, I, I think maybe was okay. And I think she gave me love and, you know, and I, I think I had a good attachment uh, sort of model, but then things started to fall apart as she fell apart and she's no longer living. Um, she, the impact on me was, it was sort of like living in a concentration camp. She um, wouldn't let us out of the house. She, um, she was very, she was emotionally and sometimes physically abusive. Um, she ruled with an iron, you know, fist. Um, I was a bedwetter. Um, I was obviously very, very, you know, kind of shut down in that I, I really didn't have a voice. Um, she was um, egotistical, narcissistic, and had these obsessive compulsive uh, behaviors that were quite extreme. For example, she was a hoarder. She uh, she would, you know, uh, have to check the door to see it was locked, you know, for an hour at a time. And I would have to sort of sit in a chair and appease her every, every movement. I, you know, and I, I grew up, um, sort of, you know, with that. And then as I got older, obviously in my early teens, I started to rebel against that and really, um, got, you know, kind of had a lot of anger inside and, but I vowed to that I wanted to get out of that and I wanted to try to stay sane. Her psychiatrist told me that I would probably be crazy as well, or at least that's what she told me because, because of this. So I decided, Ken, that I was going to do everything I could, including going for a PhD in psychology to, uh, you know, to make sure that I wasn't. And so that's sure sort that you of, weren't crazy. Exactly. Yeah, so that yeah. was sort of the genesis really of, this lifelong sort of journey that I was on to try to be, you know, to try to sort of make sure that I, I, I was ahead of the curve, but in reality, I really wasn't because I had a lot of internal trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the long and the short of it. My dad was ineffective because he couldn't handle her either. She was not to be handled by anyone. Yeah. And I'm curious because you, and of course all, you know, all teens rebel. Mm. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm curious if you were clear or, or when you really realized that, Hmm, you know, this experience that I'm having with my mother is probably not what many of my friends mm. are experiencing. That's a, There's an assumption in there, of course. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I think it's a good question. I, I didn't, you know, it's kind of like I really didn't know any anything different. Her family was sort of the thing, you know, in Italian families, you know, in neighborhoods like this, we all lived together and, I mean, near each other. And, and she had, I think, six brothers and sisters. They were all sort of like her, only a little more sane. Uh, they were all valedictorians. They were all very high performing, but they were very aggressive with each other. And there was, you know, it was very dangerous, a lot of arguments and fights. And I, so I really, honestly, I didn't really know any, any different. It, it was all I knew. It was all I had, you know, and um, I just tried to, one thing I, I realized early on was that I kind of, 
I was a person in and of myself. I don't know where that came from because I had no role models for it. But I figured out that I that I was different than them. Yeah. Well, spend. I don't know where time, that came I, from. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you know where it came from, Tony, spend a little time mm-hmm. unpacking that. And and even if again, if you recall, mm-hmm. you know that 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 moment. Which in your book you may re, you may even refer to as one you know that was your own moment of of truth or certainly truth, a moment yeah. of awareness. Totally, like, yeah. Oh wow, you know, I'm actually my own person. Mm. You know, when 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 you know if you could unpack that yep. a little bit in terms of when when that happened and how you started to move yeah. about as an autonomous creature, for lack of yeah. a better way. Of yeah, it. I don't know that I ever was autonomous, but I think it was in my early you know my early teens when. She would make me sit in a chair and she would have these black and white speckle composition books and she would write incessantly in them for hours in the morning. And then she would have to check off things to make sure that everything was okay. And she would make me sit in a chair for hours at a time. I'm not exaggerating. And, you know, drill me. I was sort of like her support system. And, you know, of course, when you're 13, 14, you know, all of a sudden you start to you start to have that separation and you start to you know, realize that you have a life too. Um, and I think it was at that point that I, I started, I can remember there was a time when she would, you know, start to hit me and I, I started putting my hands up and my arms up. I would never hit her, but right. I would put them up and, and resist. And I think it was during that sort of resisting that I started to realize I, I, I don't have to take this. And I'm not going to take it anymore. And I, you know, I think that was that was when it came to me that, you know, I need to I need to get out of here. And, and of course, she wanted me to stay. She wanted me to. She didn't want me to to do anything. She wanted, didn't want me to go to college. She wanted me to become a fireman like my mother, my father was. Anything that would keep me close to her. And I had to fight tooth and nail to get out. You know, I, I was I I was the first one in my whole intergenerational family to go to college. Um, it, it was it was fighting tooth and nail to to separate myself. She fought me every step of the way. Yeah. What What do you imagine it was that gave you the wherewithal yeah. to to Boy. do that? Yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't know, Ken. I I I, I am, you know it's just sort of this thing that was in me. I don't know where it came from, and I don't know where my my strength and my impetus for trying to be different or trying to be better i don't know where it came from but i just was something that i had this knowing that i could do something different and and the most i can tell you is sort of it was like in my dna or divinely inspired i don't know (laughs) what i'm i feel so blessed because (laughs) of it i was gonna say whatever it is we'll take it thank you (laughs) i'll take it thank you very much yeah and i think the other thing is you know i you know and i think when, you know, if I look at my life in terms of like two halves or maybe thirds, the first half, you know, through the early 20s was really very, very, very difficult in terms of what was happening to me. Roundabout in my early 30s, things started to change. And I started to, I went to graduate school, I got a master's in counseling psychology, and I went on to my doctorate. And I started to all of a sudden, I remember there was a moment in time in one of my graduate courses when I I was asked to read, you know, A Man's Search for Meaning, a book, famous book by Viktor Frankl, yeah, Victor Frankl, his, yeah. you know, his situation in the concentration, Nazi concentration camps. And, um, you know, the whole notion of you can choose your path. 
regardless of what's happening to you. And all of a sudden the light bulb went off. That's really what I was about, was, was doing that. And the latter part of my life, you know, I had a lot of really wonderful things happen to me and I've lived a blessed life. Um, you know, my kids, my, my wife, my family, you know, everything that's happened, my career, everything has been really, really positive. But what I've realized more recently, Ken, is that it's been hard because I've been carrying this weight of this trauma that's been in my body around with me my whole life. And I was kind of afraid to deal with it. And that becomes one of the sort of central points of the journeyman life book, which is that, you know, I spent a lot of my life doing workarounds and a lot of men do that. And I realized that, that I did a good job at that. And a lot of what is in this book is about all of those workarounds, which are really cool. Some of them are like really, you know, powerful and real, but if you don't let go of that ball and chain, it's you're dragging around. You're never going to get at the root cause of this thing, and you're never going to really be free. Yeah, yeah, good. And I want to I want to back us up just a little bit, okay. and that is, you said you, you, there was a key point you made, and that was carrying this trauma in my body. Yeah. And uh, you know, our culture, which is in one of my one of my clients, refers to the people that she works with in academia as you know, minds on sticks. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's something about the, uh, and I thank her for that, for, for that image, uh, but there's something about the way we um, are uh, mm. socialized, you know, taught, mm-hmm. et cetera, in our culture, and, and particularly for men, you know, particularly mm-hmm. for men, that, that, that encourages us, I think, in many ways, to separate from, mm. except perhaps for athletics, and and sexual purposes to separate from anything below the chin mm. you know and 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 be mm-hmm. in in kind of odd relationship with our mm-hmm. with our physical beings and you know your point there this that uh, the 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 trauma is carried in mm-hmm. in the body mm-hmm. and you know it, there's if, if we don't address the physical part of us you know in the bigger picture and i know in the book you really you're you're talking big picture it's not just the feelings it's not just the physical feelings it's not just the emotions it's not just the cognitive pieces mm-hmm. but there's and you know if you will for a moment or two talk a little bit more about i'm going to couch it this way um you know talk a little bit more about real about the relationship with the body in terms of no choices that free us. Yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful. And you know, I think that I think that I have, and I think you're right, men more so do because they are and because of that sort of core detachment that we have from our emotions. You know, uh Dan Brown talks about it, the Harvard psychologist talks about it at, you know, that early attachment um map that we develop. Mm-hmm. And that early attachment map it is really set in place by really two to three years old, that um, we kind of learn, you know, that for men that, you know, we can't really own our feelings, that we have to separate from them. Mm. And we have to be strong and we have to push through. And I, I know that that's how I lived my life. I thought it was a cool, I thought it was a good thing. It's like, I know in some ways it really propelled me, you know, but I was driven and, and you know, running scared from 
from myself. I think what I what I realize in time. And again, there's powerful motivators in there, but there's also a big price to pay. So you're right. I mean, I think that you know I have been driven primarily by my head, by my you know my wanting to succeed, push, um, have all the right answers, um, and in so doing, detached from my my feelings and my body. Uh, I couldn't even. I couldn't even tell you, you know, I didn't even know what a feeling was. Like, I didn't even know how to recognize, oh, I'm having a feeling. I don't know what that is, you know? And it's like, so what I realized, you know, at this latter stage of my life through the process of writing this book and some therapy that I'm going through is that those, if you trace some of your reactions, so something happens to you, you have a reaction and you have, and, and you, and you, you uh, sort of put some behavior forward that usually for me was anger. Yeah. And that that anger came from the parts in my body where that trauma was locked up from when I felt put down from my, my mother and, uh, and other, other experiences as well too, that anger, fear. Um, and that that was the thing that was triggering my behavior patterns throughout my whole life positive or negative and that 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 and until you could actually and so sort of like that just pushes through and you get into decision making and behavior patterns that are coming from a place that you think makes sense and that's what like what you said the socialized self it's like your ego thinks ah this is the way that i should be of course, that's the way to keep myself safe because that's what I learned. And in reality, until you can you can you can really have some self awareness of that and see the impact it's having on your life and all of the outward elements, then you're doomed to be uh, led by that inner trauma, and it 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 bifurcates and and allows you to only be in your head. And that's the I think that is a basic sort of pattern that most men follow until something happens and we decide to take it on. I do hope you're enjoying this conversation between myself and Tony Deloisio. Just a quick note, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Let's jump back in. Right, exactly, until something happens. Something happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, we'll get to that. I want to. Uh, okay. There, there, there's a there's a really important piece that you mentioned that I want to capture and have you highlight, and that is, um, you know, you talked about the the, re, the reactivity there, which you talk about a lot in the book. I do. And 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 make that distinction between, you know, there's that choice point, you know, that choice point in there, um, but there's a clear distinction that you make between reactivity and and the capacity to respond mm. and, and, and spend a few minutes talking about that. Because again, I think the, there's so much in there, including, and I'm going to muddy the waters here, but I, I trust you, Tony, to help me unmuddy them. Mm. Um, that so, so much of those, so many of those reactive behaviors are in fact younger parts of mm. us that's right you know distorted younger parts of that's us right. um I, I, in, in in many ways you know we can see them and i think this is reactive too we can see them as grabbing the wheel when in fact 
we just hand them the wheel. That's right. So, uh, unknowingly too. Unknowingly, yeah. It's unconscious. Yeah. It's totally it's unconscious. Unco- totally yeah. unconscious. And then and then of course we wonder, you know, gosh, you know, why didn't that re- relationship work out? Exactly. Or why? Why exactly. are that why is everybody on my exactly. team such a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, so so you so, got so, it. so yeah, so un- unpack, if you will, for listeners, yeah. Un- yeah. unpack this this distinction between um reactivity and capacity to re- and responsiveness. Okay. Well, I want to frame it in terms of and this really is not something I wrote about. I did write about the book, but but it sort of a lot has happened to me since I wrote the book, which was a year ago. Well, not quite, but a year ago. Uh, that I really, I really want to talk about at some point in this discussion about sort of the three paths to paths to sort of uh you know kind of fixing <laughs> the problems that we have. One of them is behavioral, and that's what this one is about. Yeah. The other one would be more psychological, and the third one would be more spiritual. So it's like if you can really put all three of them together, then you have a better chance of. Well, I'm not attached to my brilliant ideas, by the way. So, I, so, so, ta- so take us down the three. That's okay. I will. I will. But let me yeah, take. Yeah. So the first one is really behavioral. You're the idea of, and I learned about this from working with Stephen Covey, who wrote obviously the you know bestseller, The Seven Habits. And I actually worked with Stephen for many years. And if you know about that, and maybe a lot of the readers or listeners know about that, that, you know, he he talked about this sort of habit, number one, which is you have choice. You have choice in your life. You know, and he talked about stimuli and response and, and this thing in between. And that's what I call the choice box. So you go through your life and basically things present themselves to you and you go right to your head and you you, you snap right quickly to your response patterns that are comfortable for you, safe for you, that you've learned. Because you, your mind wants to do things really fast. Oh, I know the answer. Boom. I know how to respond to this. Boom. I start yelling at my wife. <laughs> you know, whatever I do. And, and it's sort of almost thoughtless. But there is an opportunity. And one of the things that we have that differentiates us from all other animals on this earth is that we have this idea of choice. We have the human endowments of aware self-awareness, choice, creative imagination, that we can actually do something differently. But in order to do that, we have to, we have to notice, and that's why self-awareness is so key here. We have to notice. Nothing happens until you notice that something is happening to me. Ha, ah, I'm starting to feel really angry. I'm starting to feel flush. Uh, you know, normally we bypass that, but if you could slow down, and you know, sometimes we say, well, count to 10. You know, don't respond or don't push the send button on the computer when you want to rank somebody out. And all of a sudden you start to go back in and you can start to say, okay, what just happened to me? I don't need to be defined by what happened. I can actually choose something different. Then the question becomes, what do you choose based on? Well, you choose based on a set of values that you have in terms of how you actually want to be with people. And the interesting thing is that our really our whole life is is determined by our response patterns. It's like if you think of, you know, how people see you, it's essentially how you respond in this sort of varied amounts. And it's like it was really interesting to me uh, a couple of years ago. I was talking to my brother-in-law and at Rex, and he, you know, we were having a really real man-to-man conversation. Um, and he kind of told me how he saw me. I asked him. Yeah. And what he told me, Ken, was stuff that I, I knew about myself, but I thought were hidden. Like, I didn't think people actually saw me that way. 
you know, like I was afraid, like I was aggressive, like I was a know-it-all, whatever, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but guess what? That was from those response patterns where I wasn't really operating based on my, my choice box, what I'm calling my choice box. So the trick is to be able to slow yourself down, really get in touch with what your values are, and then you have to use these different skills to be able to sort of actually be in a real conversation or make a more uh, intelligent and effective response. And that's when things start to change, when you start to really see how things could be different. So let me just stop there. That's one sort of piece of the puzzle. Is that what you were fishing for? Uh, well, that was fine. Whatever I was fishing for, it doesn't matter. You just <laughs> that was that was that was beautiful. And there's so much in what you just in what you just laid out there, Tony, including uh, including the 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 you know the speed with which the mind functions. And and one other important distinction. Yeah, you said uh, the example you use. You know, I'm getting angry, or I'm noticing that I, that there's anger here which is what i'm hearing in there is 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 that in that language there's a piece of separation yes you know and be and the capacity to to step back and say okay i'm getting angry uh and i'm at choice about what to do with it i'm not defined in this moment i don't have to identify as 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 the anger for lack of a better way of putting it yeah. yeah, I think that's I think that's right on. Yeah, and I think we are. You know, in most respects, we are a bit separate separate from our emotions, where we just bypass them and go directly to you know this autom- automatic response, which is really more unconscious. Thank you so much for joining me, Ken Mossman, your host here on Mojo for the Modern Man, and my guest, Tony DeLoisio, for this first half of our conversation. I do hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to learn more about Tony and his writings and the other great work that he does out in the world, you can visit his uh, website, thejourneymanlife.com. And I, of course, I will put that in the notes along with some other links uh, and ways that you can reach out and learn more about Tony, which I strongly encourage you to do. He is up to some extraordinary, extraordinary life-changing work. A quick shout out to my sound man, Josh Hines, sound man and musician extraordinaire. Big thanks to Josh. And a quick note before we part company here, please come by my website, Cirrus Leadership. That's Cirrus is in the cloud, CirrusLeadership.com. Check out what I've got going on there. Depending on when you're listening to this, the registration is open for the September 2022 I Am program. That's my flagship men's program. And there's a lot of other good stuff, including every episode of Mojo for the Modern Man to be found on my website. And with that, take care, be well, and we'll see you back here soon on Mojo for the Modern Man.